As Matt said, my name is Will Bushman, and I am the co-director of the student ministry here at Rio, and I really love this Sunday. I love this Sunday after Christmas, the one before um, New Year's Day, and not just because it's really become my preaching sweet spot these last few years, because no one else really wants it, (laughs) but I just really love this time, because for a lot of us, it's the first time we start to get to breathe, right? Since Thanksgiving, we're running, we're going, we're moving. We're just caught up in this cycle. And finally, for just a couple of days before New Year's parties start, we can just take a breath and we can reflect. And this week's such a natural week for reflection. Right? As the decade ends, as we move into New Year's Eve, usually we look forward. Um, but this morning, we're going to look back at Christmas. And We're just going to not follow the calendar of culture. You know, as Matt said, it's so easy. On November 1st, Thanksgiving starts. And really, Christmas does, too, if you go to Target. (laughs) And then as soon as Thanksgiving's over, Christmas is in full swing. And then once Christmas happens, on December 26th, we, we look straight towards the new year. We just consume it, and we leave it behind us. And it's so easy to do that. And even as a church, we do that. Usually this week, we move headlong into the new year. We stop. We continue whatever sermon series we're doing or we start a new one. But we're going to look back at the Christmas story this morning. And I have to be honest with you. (laughs) This Christmas season, there was this tension in my life, my heart. Um, Because as I moved through it, and and I was sitting back there, way in the back, in the super comfy chairs on Christmas Eve at the 7 p.m. service, and my wife Morgan was to my left, and my friend Kyle was to my right, and everything was going great, until Matt got up here. And Matt gets up here, and he goes, Christmas is crazy. And that just showed me something that, that I was working through. I didn't really have the words to say it right then, but... When Matt said that, it it popped in my mind that this whole Christmas season, for me personally, I've just let it pass, right? That I've looked at the Christmas story, and because it's become so familiar, because I go through it every year that, I I don't want to say this on a mic, but it meant nothing to me. And I just thought, why, Will? And it was that word familiarity just kept coming to my mind. I've become so familiar with the story. And as we left Christmas Eve and as my week continued, just that old proverb kept coming to my mind, that familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt may be too strong of a word or not, I don't really know. But I do know that familiarity can be treacherously deceptive in your life and in my life. In anything that we do in marriage, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our passions, in our gifts, anything that has a natural longevity to them, it's easy for familiarity to start to suck some of it away. It's easy to go to those things that are familiar, those things that used to make our hearts beat a little faster, that used to make our eyes light up a little brighter. Because what familiarity does, it just shuts those down. It makes them ordinary again in our lives. And for me, that's what familiarity did to the Christmas story this year. It took something that's extraordinary, something that's absolutely amazing, and it made it absolutely ordinary in my life. But the truth is, the Christmas story does not allow me to get away with that. Because the Christmas story comes to us in an insane manner. Every time we hear the Christmas story, this idea 
that God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, sent his son down to earth in flesh and blood, that the son of God entered into time and space, we should say, what is going on? Because it's absolutely amazing. It's not just amazing the concept of God coming to earth, but think about how he did it. He did in a way that none of us would expect, that none of us would be able to write down, that none of us were really ready for. He came in such an ordinary, with an extraordinary method of the Holy Spirit, but through the ordinary means of birth. And a couple months ago, I had um, the great privilege to go to Israel. And I just remember this one moment um, when this whole idea of Jesus being born um, in an ordinary way really hit me. We were in the shepherd's field in Bethlehem, the city where Jesus is born. And Tom Hendricks just got done reading this beautiful retelling of the Christmas story. And I mean, people are weeping in this cave. And I walk out, and I panic. And, and, I, and I look for Tom, I look for Sam Cash and Smith, and I run up to them, and I say to them, actually, I scream at them, where was Jesus for the nine months in between leaving heaven and being born on earth? And they look at me just puzzled, because they have a basic understanding of science. Right? They said he was in Mary's womb. And they just casually walked away. But I was floored at this idea that the Son of God umbilically attached himself to this lowly Jewish girl in the first century of Israel. That in Mary's womb, there's this ordinary girl who's just betrothed this man named Joseph. Jesus' heart, physical heart was forming. And it started to beat And as he was growing and as he was developing, fingerprints to his unique person were being made. And that's all I know about that process. But it's all I need to know. Because it's absolutely beautiful. And I was astounded standing there that day. So as Christmas Eve happened and as I had that realization, I thought, Will, how could you go in the span of a couple of months from being astounded that Jesus was just in a womb to looking at the story and feeling absolutely nothing. And it's this whole idea of familiarity. And so during the Christmas season, since I was trying to avoid the Christmas story, I opened up the Gospel of Mark. Because the Gospel of Mark is the only one of the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, that don't talk about the birth of Jesus at all. It skips it, and it goes right to when Jesus is an adult. And I'm like, that's what I'm looking for this season. And so as soon as I open up, Mark opens up with Jesus in Capernaum, this city, and he's just going around supernaturally healing everyone he comes into contact with. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. He heals Peter's mother-in-law of a high fever. He cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic man who is lowered in from a roof in front of him. And one day he heals a man with a withered hand. And as I read those stories personally, with all the Christmas baggage that my little heart was holding at the time, I said, of course Jesus can supernaturally heal. He's God. And again, I just tried to write off this whole fact that there's a God on this earth that is healing people. But as I kept reading, my eyes were opened up. Because the people around Jesus didn't just accept those healings so easily. The Pharisees in Mark 3, 6 The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. After Jesus does all of these healings, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the guys who knew the scriptures, who knew the Old Testament, who knew the 
prophecies that this Savior was going to come into the world, and they see this man standing in front of him that checks off all the boxes. And their expectations are broken, and they want to kill him. But as I read that, I said, oh, they're the Pharisees. They're always trying to kill Jesus. So I wrote that off. But then as I continued, you come to this weird story where Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers try to pull him away from what he's doing. Mark says this, And his being Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And it's just this weird narrative where you see Jesus, he, he's teaching, and there's such a great crowd inside the house that Mary and his brothers, who are trying to yank him out of that house, they have to whisper, and people pass along the message. And Mary, in this scene, she's looking at her son who came from her womb, and she's trying to stop what he's doing on this earth. And you have to give Mary the benefit of the doubt. People are looking to kill Jesus, and Mary's worried about the safety of her son. But then Jesus, which seems rather harsh when you read it, he understands why he's on this earth. He understands that it is his mission to show that he is the Son of God through these supernatural healings. And I was kind of mad at Mary. I was like, Mary, you were there at the birth, right? You were the human integral part of the whole birth process. How can you not understand who this God in front of you is? And I don't want to bash Mary. She's, she's, she's amazing. But I had to tell myself, well, 30 years have passed since that birth up until this day. 30 years where Jesus was not known as the baby born to save the souls of man, but he was most likely known as Jesus the carpenter's son. Jesus the son of Joseph the carpenter. And the people walking around him would have became familiar with him. The people walking around him would have become like me. And in that moment, I didn't feel so alone that I was sitting here in the Christmas season, so familiar with Jesus, but so far from the point of what Christmas is trying to tell me. So this morning, for the rest of our time, we're going to break all the rules. We're going to go back to the Christmas story, and we're going to read the Christmas story after Christmas has taken place. And for me and for any of you who feel like, Man, this Christmas season, I was just so familiar with Jesus. I was so caught up in the chaos and the busyness and everything that comes with Christmas that I missed the point of it all. Then we get a second chance to look at it this morning. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see three things after we read the story. We're going to see why Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to earth. We're going to see who Jesus came to earth for. And lastly, we're going to see how he's going to accomplish his purpose of redemption. So I'm going to read the narrative from Luke 2, and I'm going to read it in its entirety, so follow along on the wall. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem 
because he was out of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been said to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. The wonderful part about the birth of Jesus, it's not just that it's historical, it's not just that we can look back, but it actually gives us the blueprint for Jesus' life. It tells us that Jesus, who he is, why he's come, who he's come for, and all of that. So the real question is, if this baby truly is the Son of God, why did the Son of God come to earth? Why did God have to send his only son down into human form in order to be with his people? And the wise stated right there in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, this baby lying in the manger, he's the Savior. And when you hear the word Savior, he's saving someone from something. So the question is, what is he saving us from? He's come down for us, and he's come down because right after creation, right after God created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything you see, and he created it good, sin entered into the picture. Sin is this thing, this disobedience against God, this thing that we as humans say we're in charge of our life, we're the king of this life, and we're going to live it the way we want. And we see that, and we feel that in our world. And the thing that sin does is that it separates us from God because God is holy, he is perfect. And when sin came into the picture, it changed our relationship with him. And you see all throughout the Old Testament, people trying and yearning to try to close that chasm, but they were never able to do it. And God looks at his people all throughout the Old Testament, and he gives them a temporary solution to their problems. He gives them a temple, and he gives them a sacrificial system where animals' blood would be spilled in order to cover up the sins of the people. But that was only a temporary solution. But that sacrificial lamb back in those days was pointing to a future Savior, a Savior that one day no longer would any sacrifices need to be made over and over, but the Savior one time and one time only would save his people. And this is the baby. This is the Savior that entered into the world that day. It's absolutely wild how gracious God is to us. But when we hear that, it's easy to just make that another part of the familiar Christmas story, that Christ the Savior has entered into the world. It's easy to keep that story about those people, about them. 
But here's the deal. We have to personalize it for us. And part of the reason we don't like to do that is that we have to say to ourselves, I'm sinful, I am separated from God, what I've done I cannot fix, and I need someone to step in and save me. So let's break the familiarity of Jesus being the Savior, and let's personalize it for each of us. So here's what we're going to do. Imagine God right now is speaking to each and every one of us. I'm going to read something that I imagined is God speaking to me personally. It's going to say, my name, Will. It's going to have my issues in it. But God is doing this very same thing for you this morning. I imagine God saying, Will, I sent my son, my only son, for you. Not because you're good, which you think you are. Not because you can earn it, even though you try every single day. You are full of pride and selfishness, and you have a deep, deep desire to be approved of by everyone around you. You are sinful. You are broken. You are messy. But I absolutely love you with a love so great that I sent my son into the world to save you. Think about that. That's my name. Those are my real issues. But that's God coming to us. The infinite God sees us, knows exactly who we are, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, I absolutely love you. I love you so much that I sent my son onto this earth. I mean, it just, it's just absolutely amazing. And that's the why. Jesus came as a savior. But who did he come for? Because you would imagine the God of the universe coming down and sending his son for the good, for the powerful, for the rich, for the prestigious, for the successful, for those who have high status, for those who really kind of have their act together and just need maybe one more helpful step. But we find who Jesus came for when we look at who was invited to the birth of Jesus, have you ever thought how crazy that would be? That this moment that divides our historical calendar before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, this moment, somebody was invited to it. This intimate moment of a mother bearing her first child. You would only invite family to that. You only invite people that are super important. So back in first century Israel, you would have imagined that it was the Pharisees that were invited, right? The religious elites. Maybe it would have been the Roman governor, right, who was controlling the cities at that time. Or maybe it would be high status or someone that could maybe get Jesus something in the future. Maybe he could get a favor in the end. But a shock to everyone was that these shepherds were invited. And to us, again, in 2019, after spending Christmas story, Christmas story, Christmas story, hearing that the shepherds were invited, we're like, cool. Right? The shepherds came. But back then, it would have been a huge deal to invite the shepherds. Because the shepherds weren't a group of people that were looked on highly by society. They weren't looked on, and they had no status. They had no power. They were social outcasts. Think about it. These shepherds spent all of their time taking care of someone else's sheep in the field. 
They wouldn't have come to town often. They wouldn't have been known by the people. Even more than that, in the rabbinic literature um, that talks about temple laws and all of that kind of stuff, in the time after Jesus, there was five lists of prescribed trades, which is condemned trades in the eyes of the rabbis. And in three of three of the five lists, shepherds are listed. There are these men who weren't invited into the temple. And the temple at that time was the center of everything. It's where religious life happened. It's where social life happened. It's where business deals went down. It's where the market was. Everything revolved around this temple, and these men weren't even invited into it. They were outcasts. No one wanted them. But then the angels break in the sky to these men and say, go and see the Savior of the world has come. And God's teaching us something. Right? That this baby born in Bethlehem is not born for those of us who think we have it together. He's not coming to us and saying, fix everything in your life, and then maybe I'll come to you. He's not saying, seek after power or prestige, or it matters how successful you are, how much money you have, or how much influence on Instagram you have. He's coming to us and saying, the people that I'm inviting into my family are those who see themselves as outcasts of those who see who they are, that they've been separated from God and humbly go to worship the Savior. That's all that is required to enter into the family of Jesus. So if that wasn't enough, if why Jesus came isn't enough, if who he came for isn't enough, the birth story comes to us and says how he's going to do all this. If he's a Savior that's come to redeem the outcast, how will that actually happen? And you would imagine God made man. He would spend his time building up a following. And eventually that following would reach a tipping point. And then that God-made man would then lead the people against the Roman government. They would overthrow their oppressors. And they would rule Israel again. That's what they wanted. That's what they were expecting when a Savior came into the world. But it's it's actually very different. And we see it through the signs of the angels. And the angels say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swallowing cloth and lying in a manger. And you go, okay, angels, isn't that a sign enough for these shepherds to understand what's going on? Yeah, and the angels showed that this was a message from God. But the angels were pointing to a different sign, this sign of a baby lying in a manger. It tells us about who Jesus is. In order to see this, you have to forget every nativity scene you've ever, ever even looked at. All those ones in your houses, I'm not saying they're absolutely wrong, but, you know, they have some mistakes. Because the manger Jesus was laid in, it wouldn't have been made of wood, but actually it would have been made of stone and looks a lot like this. I'll try to move around a little bit. So now you have to imagine this baby Jesus wrapped tightly and lying in that stone manger. And it's kind of a dark sign if it's any baby but Jesus. But as the shepherds would have walked in and seen this swaddled baby lying in that stone manger, it would have reminded 
him and all of them of a dead body. Because in those days, after a person died, the tomb that they would have been buried in would have been in a cave, and they would have cut out this like half-moon shape in order to fit the body and cut it out a little deeply, and they would have made this flat shelf, and they would have wrapped the body up, covered him in burial spices, and laid the body on that rock shelf. Right, this sign is showing us what this Savior came to do. He didn't come to overthrow any earthly kingdom, but the Savior is going to redeem his people one day through death. That God made man would die. And this is why the birth of Jesus is so beautiful. This is why the angels can come to the shepherds and say, Behold, this is good news of great joy. Because the birth story is really just the gospel of Jesus woven in. It's that God sent his only son to earth. And he took on flesh and blood. He walked around with the people. He lived a perfect life, never sinning, never insulting anyone, never doing anything wrong. But one day, later on in his life, one of his very best friends would betray him for a couple pieces of silver. And Jesus would be praying in a garden in Gethsemane, and, and soldiers would be coming with torches lit, way too many of them, to come and take this man who's done nothing wrong. And from that garden, he would be swept away to an unfair trial that should have never taken place. And quickly, in the matter of hours, he was sentenced to death on a cross. A criminal's cross, a sign of execution. But this is what the birth story is pointing to. The Savior who has come to redeem the outcast by dying. Because his death on that cross was not because of what he did. It's because of what you and I have done. Right? The sin that separates us from a holy God no longer matters because the Savior, God made man, came and took that whole punishment on him. Every lie I've ever told, everything I've ever done wrong, and not just the stuff that we publicly admit to, but he knows everything about us, and yet he went to that cross. That's the story of the baby born in Bethlehem. We know the cross was not the final part in that story. But three days later, that baby who had come to die was crucified and he rose. That's the story of Christmas. And that's where familiarity has to stop. Because the story is too beautiful for us just to look at and go, okay, we'll see you again next year. But we really have to see that this is a God who came to die for you and I. Not because we were good, not because we had it together or deserved it, but because he loved us enough. We're going to move into a time of reflection. Because it's easy for us to hear this and to walk out into the chaos of this world and really not let anything sink into our heart. So this time of reflection is for you. right? If there's something that the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart and you're ready to go, just, just start going. 
But for those of you who are new, maybe you haven't done this before, I'm going to start praying. And I'll pray a little bit to guide you, and then I'll leave a time of space so you can talk to God. So join me in reflection. Oh God, we come to you. Where we come to you praising you. You're the God who created the heavens and the earth. You're the God who is, who is holy and just. You're the God who is, is loving and so gracious. The God who looks down on us and knows us and sees us. Lord, you love us entirely. So just praise God for, for who he is, for, for what he's done, for what's beautiful in your life. Lord, when I think about you and I think about who you are, I can't help but to see myself in that light. That I'm messy, that I'm unfaithful, that I'm easily distracted, Lord. Lord, and I come to you, God, just confessing who I am. Confessing that I, I don't always understand you. Confessing that I'm easily wooed by every shiny object. So just take some time con con confessing and in light of who he is, who you are. seeing you and seeing me and, and seeing the cat could be a hopeless feeling. But God, you've come and, and you've given us hope. You've given us hope through this baby that we celebrate that was born thousands of years ago. That you broke into time and space for me. That you shed your blood for me. That there's so much grace that you lavish upon me I can't even comprehend it. So think about this Christmas story. Think about who Jesus is. Think about what this story tells us.
Lord, we thank you for who you are, God, that you're God who loves us and cares about us enough to send your son, not just to send him to live life on this earth, but send him knowing that one day he would be crucified on a cross with my sin on his shoulders. Lord, let us see you in that light, God, and let it not just stay here in this room, God, but let us meditate on this. Keep bringing this back to our minds and to our hearts all week long until it sinks in enough that we live out of it. Lord, we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.